0: and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 194. It's titled, Four Investment Lessons from Warren Buffett. According to the show, on the road today, we've been in El Paso, Texas the past few days on our southern road trip. And this past weekend, I read Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder letter. This is for the year ending 2017, and there's some really important investment principles that we can take away from that letter. So here's four things I learned. I'm going to share Warren Buffett's thoughts, but also bring in a couple other virtual investment mentors I've had over the years. One is Howard Marks. He's the chair of Oak Tree Capital, he wrote the book The Most Important Thing. And Seth Klarman, he is the founder of of the hedge fund BowPost Group that managed money, for continues to manage money many years for a former client of mine. So i spent some time in person with Seth Klarman every year, and he was kind enough to <laughs> put up with my silly questions. I guess, like the time I asked him about being a hedge fund, and he said, "I am not a hedge fund. We are BowPost is an investment partnership." So here's the first lesson from this annual letter from Warren Buffett. It's use debt prudently. He mentions, he defines what investing is. He writes, investing is an activity in which consumption today is foregone in an attempt to allow greater consumption at a later date. Makes a lot of sense. Risk. Risk he goes on, is the possibility that this objective won't be attained, that we won't be able to get that greater consumption down the road. I love that definition. It's similar to what I said about consumer debt. If investing is foregoing consumption into the future, consumer debt shifts that future consumption into the present. Now, Some debt can be used to fund investments We talked about that in episode 188, using debt to fund an investment, such as student loans, to increase your human capital. Debt can be used to fund education expenses, which increases our future earnings capability. That's what our human capital is, our ability to earn in the future. Now, what about debt that is used to invest in the financial markets? Berkshire Hathaway does it as to individual investors. Berkshire has 350 billion dollars in liabilities and 700 billion in assets. Now we can compare that to US investors. US investors have borrowed close to 600 billion dollars and invested it in the stock market and other publicly traded securities. That's a large amount. Ned Davis Research does a the calculation. They look at what is that overall debt, margin debt it's called, that U.S. investors have taken on and what is that as a percent of the total market capitalization of U.S. stocks, the total size of the stock market, which is the measure of the price of the shares times the total shares outstanding. The record high was 2.2%. It was in really the 2006-2007 period, right before the great financial crisis. The 73-year average is 1.2% debt, margin debt to U.S. stock market capitalization. Right now we're at 2%, so we're not at that all-time high of 2.2%. When the great financial crisis hit, we got down to 1.8% in 2011, but now we're at 2.2%. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week titled, Investors' Zeal to Buy Stocks with Debt Leaves Markets Vulnerable. And it profiled two investors, really instructive. When we look at why are these investors taking out debt and investing in the stock market? The first is Joe Diaz. He's describes himself as a trader. He lives in Yuma, Arizona. He watched his portfolio fall during this recent bout of market volatility by $25,000. He got a margin call. He had to add money. So when you borrow and then invest it, take on these margin loans, if the value of the securities fall below a certain level, you have to put in more money. He says he he was... The quote is, I was so bullish that I went all in. I was confident that the stock market would go up, but then it didn't. And he got a margin call. He had to put in $2,500 to satisfy that margin call. He says, the next day, the market ripped higher, and I breathed a sigh of relief. He goes on, my confidence level isn't as high as it was a week ago or a few weeks ago. A lot of investors have gotten used to buying the dip," he said. "But I think that's going to come to an end. Now that's his view, but he's borrowed money to invest in the stock market. But twenty five thousand dollars loss. I mean that that's small. Compare that to Harvey Hajian, H A J I Y Y A N, that was also profiled in that episode or in that article. Thirty five year old financial advisor lives in Toronto been investing for more than a decade. He said all the strategists agreed the market would go up. So at the end of January, he used margin to fund a large position in the ProShare Short VIX, Short-Term Futures Exchange Traded Fund. I talked about that in the Insider's Guide a few weeks ago. This, This is an ETF or similar ETFs you made money if volatility stayed low. And it didn't. And he also had a margin call. That pro shares fund basically got wiped out, lost 94% of its value. Mr. Hajian says, I was in denial. He lost $600,000 Canadian dollars, almost a half million US dollars of his $1.1 million portfolio. Half his assets he lost doing basically investing with leverage on margin. Now, Warren Buffett does it, but he does it in a very different way. They write insurance, they reinsure. They're a property and casualty insurer. That's a big portion of Berkshire's business. The way it works is the their customers pay them premiums, but then the payments aren't usually made until there's losses over the life of the policy. And sometimes those payments aren't for years. Buffett in his letter describes that as float. And Berkshire Hathaway has $114 billion of float. to long-term liability. It's essentially a free loan. They're not going to get a margin call, Berkshire Hathaway, because they have leverage that they've used to purchase businesses and other investments. They're using this float. Long-term liability matched to long-term assets. He writes in the letter, Charlie and I, never will operate Berkshire in a manner that depends on the kindness of strangers or even that of friends who may be facing liquidity problems of their own. We have intentionally constructed Berkshire in a manner that will allow it to comfortably withstand discontinuities, including such extremes as extended market closures. They've prudently used debt in a way that it's not going to be called and then i mean it's certainly leveraged up in terms of their business but it's not like an individual margin loans what are the rates take out a loan of less than $50,000 you're paying 8 to 9% in annual interest rate berkshire's essentially paying nothing if you get a loan over a million dollars it's 4 to 5% where does buffett invest does this, this essentially this float, this interest-free loans? He writes, Charlie and I view the marketable common stocks Berkshire owns as interests in businesses, not as ticker symbols to be bought and sold based on their chart patterns, the target prices of analysts, or the opinion opinions of media pundits. Instead, we simply believe that if the businesses of the investees are successful, As we believe most will be, our investments will be successful as well. Sometimes the payoffs to us will be modest, occasionally the cash register will ring loudly, and sometimes I will make expensive mistakes. Overall and over time, we should get decent results. Now, if you're going out and you're borrowing money to invest in the stock market, one of the things we have to ask is, how confident are you? of that particular investment. Howard Marks, as they mentioned, wrote the book, The Most Important Thing. And one of the quotes there in there is, one key question investors have to answer is whether they view the future as knowable or unknowable. Investors who feel they know what the future holds will act assertively, making directional bets, concentrating positions, levering holdings, Through margin loans, counting on future growth. In other words, doing things that in the absence of foreknowledge would increase risk. Joe Diaz and the financial advisor in Toronto, they believe they could predict the future and they doubled down by taking on that debt. Harvey Hajian, he said, All the strategists agreed the market would go up. Joe Diaz says, I was so bullish that I went all in. Henry Kaufman, he's a 90-year-old founder of the financial consulting firm Kaufman & Company. Sometimes he's known as Dr. Doom. He writes, there are two kinds of people who lose money, those who know nothing and those who know everything. So that's lesson one, be prudent with debt. Lesson two is keep your eyes open and focus on a few simple fundamentals. Here's what Buffett wrote in the annual letter. Though markets are generally rational, they occasionally do crazy things. Seizing the opportunities then offered does not require great intelligence, a degree in economics, or a familiarity with Wall Street jargon such as alpha and beta. What investors then need instead is an ability to both disregard mob fears or enthusiasm and to focus on a few simple fundamentals. A willingness to look unimaginative for a sustained period or even to look foolish is also essential. In a different letter, Buffett said, the less prudence with which others conduct their affairs, the greater the prudence with which we should conduct our own affairs. Buffett is suggesting that if we keep our eyes open and focus on a few simple things, that we can take advantage of opportunities. It takes patience. We might look foolish for a time, but ultimately there's opportunities there. Howard Marks says the same thing. He writes, As difficult as it is to know the future... It's really not that hard to understand the present. What we need to do is take the market's temperature. Keep our eyes open. He goes on, there are a few fields in which decisions as to strategies and tactics are influenced by what we see in the environment. And he gives the example, how how fast we're going driving. We've been taking this long road trip. You tend to keep your speed based on how others are driving if everybody's being slow, you slow down. Keep the same thing. If you're out golfing, the choice of clubs, I don't golf, but if you call if you golf, your choice of clubs depends on the wind, what you wear outside, depends on the weather, the weather. He goes on. Shouldn't our investment actions be equally affected by the investing climate? Looking ahead, Seth Klarman says. Keeping our eyes open also increases the probability that you will be prepared for something that has never before occurred. We can't invest blindly. We have to be aware. Alert and perspective or perceptive is how Howard Marks puts it. We can gauge the behavior of those around us and from that judge what we should do. He says the essential ingredient here is inference, which is one of his favorite words. We can see what's going on and understand the implications of what's going on around us. When others are recklessly confident, he writes, and buying aggressively, we should be highly cautious. When others are frightened into inaction or panic selling, we should become aggressive. Now, I... I have taught about that. And I call it focusing on the leading edge of the present. Looking at what's going on now. Focusing on a few fundamentals. And just doing that helps us not to panic in this recent market turmoil. Knowing where we stood from an economic standpoint, economic trends, knowing what some of the market internals, the level of fear and greed, and realize that investors weren't that fearful yet. And looking at valuations was enough to keep us from panicking and selling all our investments when the markets simply fell 10% in in about a week or so. And, And the way that I do that is I produce a monthly investment conditions report, a snapshot, a focus on a few fundamentals, rating them red, green, or yellow. That's how I invest. Others can do it in different ways, but it's what I teach on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. So that's that's it. Keep our eyes open. Be aware. Buffett says we could take advantage of opportunities, but we don't want to be overly excessive as we do that, which is lesson number three. Stick with easy decisions and avoid excessive trading. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. He outlines a bet that he made with protege partners 10 years ago. And the bet was that, The S&P 500 index fund would do better than the expert hedge funds protege partners selected. They selected five fund-to-funds. So these are funds of hedge funds. And Buffett writes, protege knew its way around Wall Street. They selected five investment experts who in turn employed several hundred other investment experts, each managing his or her own hedge fund. It was an elite crew loaded with brains, adrenaline, and confidence. And they tried really hard, but they didn't even have a chance. First off, hedge funds, as a rule, are a different risk profile. Most of them aren't trying to keep pace with the S and P 500. At least within a fund-to-fund structure, they're either going long and short. I mean, ideally, they like to keep up with the S and P, but that typically isn't what they're selling, and they fell woefully short for the ten-year period. And all the data is there in the shareholder letter. The S and P 500 index returned eight and a half percent. One fund of funds returned 2% annualized, another 36 another 6.5%, another actually only made it nine years and shut down. That returned 0.3% annualized. And the fifth, 2.4%, woefully short. Why? One, the fees. The fees are really high. Buffett says in his letter, performance comes, performance goes, fees never falter. The typical, typical hedge funds could be charged 1% to 2% plus 20% of the profits. And, but the, the, the degree of underperformance was more than, than just fees. It was trying to outsmart the market. Howard Marks writes, hedge funds can be viewed as just such a sure thing during the last decade, especially those called absolute return funds. These were long, short or arbitrage funds that wouldn't pursue high returns by making directional bets on the market trend, which is what the SP500 is, you're making a directional bet. Rather, he goes on, the manager's skill or technology would enable them to produce consistent returns in the range of eight to 11 percent, regardless of which way the market went. Too few people recognize that achieving rock steady returns in that range would be a phenomenal accomplishment. Perhaps too good to be true. It is that there's a handful of hedge funds, Baupost being one of them, that have been able to do that. Most just aren't that smart. He says too few wondered how many managers there are with enough talent to produce that miracle especially after the deduction of substantial management and incentive fees. How much money they could do it with and how their highly levered bets on small statistical discrepancies would fare in a hostile environment. There was no way it was going to work. Hundreds of hedge funds, even I've researched fund of funds Our old firm did. It's hard to find them. It's hard to put together a fund of hedge fund, and have it outperform the S&P 500. just doesn't happen, and it didn't. But the lesson that Warren Buffett says is that final lesson from our bet is stick with big, easy decisions and eschew activity. All that trading underneath with those hedge funds, making decisions, trying to make their best decision, but Buffett said they only made one decision. Over that 10-year period, they made the decision to exit out of a zero-coupon bond that they had both put up some money in this zero-coupon bond so it would appreciate at the end of 10 years would be worth a million dollars to fund the bet. But instead, they decided it just wasn't worth, that the yields had fallen so low, they took the proceeds and they put it in Berkshire Hathaway stock. And that allowed, the, the million dollars went to a, a charity, I believe, in, in Omaha, and they actually ended up having two million dollars. It just made one decision to make that change. And he says, "Protege and I, meanwhile, leaning neither on research insights nor brilliance, made only one investment decision during the ten years. In order to invest with our eyes open, we we don't have to make a lot of changes." We can, we can see what's going on, be cognizant of it, and be patient and wait for an opportunity. In the model portfolios of Money for the Rest of Plus, they've been in existence for just about two years. We've made two changes. One to replace an ETF, the other to reduce high-yield bond exposure about in April 2016 or 2017. And the other... Was to reduce the interest rate sensitivity and reduce the the duration as interest rates potentially would go up. You just weren't being compensated. Only two changes, and in in my portfolio or in your portfolio, you probably make more because you're getting more cash flows. But investment decisions based on something changing in the market, we generally don't have to to make that many changes, and when we do oftentimes we're early and we can look foolish, which is lesson number four. Be willing to be early and look foolish. Buffett says a willingness to look unimaginative for a stained period or even to look foolish is also essential. Howard Marks writes, if everyone likes it, it's probably because it's been doing well. Most people seem to think outstanding performance to date presages, outstanding future performance. The market's going up. It's going to keep going up. But he goes on, actually, it's more likely that outstanding performance, very, very high performance to date has borrowed from the future and thus presages subpar performance from here on out. Stocks are doing really, really well and the valuations are going high. We're borrowing future performance and moving it to the present. But we also have a fear of looking wrong, says Howard Marks. Not only should the lonely and uncomfortable position be tolerated, it should be celebrated, usually and certainly at the extremes of the pendulum swing. Being part of the herd should be a reason to worry. Seth Klarman says, generally, the greater the stigma or revulsion— the better the bargain. Sometimes we're going to be early. I When I did the episode, I think it was 97, on the great financial crisis, I talked about the moves we made as an advisory firm and the portfolio that I was managing. We moved into emerging markets early, before a few weeks before I hit bottom. We moved back in to non-investment grade bonds early, but we were, we were richly rewarded for our clients. We can never get that timing perfect. We look at the present. We make our best decision. And sometimes we we look silly for a while. We need to be willing to do that. He goes on. There's this phrase, don't try to catch a falling knife. It's too dangerous. And then he says, people usually say, after saying that, we're going to wait until the dust settles. And the un." Certainty is resolved. What they mean, of course, is that they're frightened and unsure what to do. The one thing I'm sure of is that by the time the knife has stopped falling, the dust has settled, and the uncertainty has been resolved, there'll be no great bargains left. You never quite know when you're investing. There's always doubt. That's why we want to focus on a few simple things focus on valuation, hopefully wait till an extreme and things start to reverse. But it's never completely clear. If you started investing back in March 2009, there were certainly indicators that things were improving, but there was still a great deal of fear. And yet, in, in certainly in the portfolio that, that I advised on in my personal portfolio, we started moving back, at least in my personal portfolio, we started moving back Into, I started moving back into the stock market in March 2009. Not everything, incremental, incremental. That is the way to invest. Seth Klarman says in recent years, holding cash is so completely out of favor that it has become the ultimate contrarian investment. As an individual investor, we can hold cash, we can be patient. Klarman says also, calibration is important. Set the bar too high, and you might remain out of the market for a very long time. Set it too low, and you will be fully invested almost immediately, and it will be as though you had no standards of all. No standards at all. Experience and versatile thinking are the keys to such calibration. Take the experience invest. And we get that experience when we're young and hopefully by participating in the markets. I often get emails from, from young investors and they said, well, I don't have enough money to invest and how can I diversify? Get an email from that about that the other day. How can I diversify? I don't have any money. Well, We have such great advantages now. There's tools. M1 Finance, the Robinhood app. I don't charge any commission. You can build a diversified portfolio on those financial apps. But if you start young, when you don't have any money, that's how you get that experience and become more versatile in your thinking. Perhaps even people sometimes ask me, "Why well, don't have enough money to, to pay the, the $200 to $300 a year for money for the rest of us plus. It's not worth it on an asset fee basis. And, and I often say, well, what did you pay for a college credit? It's education. And, and that's not say so you, you need to you have to join my website. I'm giving it as an example that it I'm willing to pay, be willing to pay for the education so you can get it when you're young. So that you're you so when you have assets to manage, you have that experience and that versatility. Howard Marks finally says investing is the great biz, greatest business in the world because you never have to swing. You can stand at the plate, and the pitcher throws you General Motors at 47, U.S. Steel at 39, and nobody calls a strike on you. There's no penalty except opportunity. All day, you wait for the pitch you like. Then, when the fielders are asleep, you step up and hit it. As an individual investor, you have such a great advantage because you can be patient and wait for the right opportunity. And you don't have to do what the crowd is doing. In fact, it's easier for you. As a professional investor, there's a great deal of pressure to do what your competitors are doing. Right now, there's been a great deal of money raised in leveraged leverage buyout funds, and there's pressure to get it to work. And there's been a ton of leveraged buyouts this year at much higher valuations because of that professional pressure and client pressure to act. As individuals, we don't have that pressure. We can be patient. So those are the four lessons. Use debt prudently. Keep your eyes open and focus on a few simple fundamentals. Don't try to treat everything, know everything about everything. Focus on valuations. Focus on economic trends. Focus on getting different portfolio drivers. Focus on asset classes. And, and not necessarily individual stocks if you don't want to. I prefer asset classes. Warren Buffett, they buy individual businesses or stocks. It takes way more time to do that and, as opposed to building out a diversified portfolio of exchange-traded funds. Lesson three, stick with easy decisions and avoid excessive trading. You don't have to make that many trades per year. We're trying to avoid regime changes. When the risk of recession is high, when valuations are excessive, when market trends and momentum is 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 seriously deteriorating, then we can make those incremental infrequent moves, and finally be willing to look be early and look foolish. It takes patience to be an investor, particularly when you're buying something undervalued, because it might be a while before it it gets realized. It takes patience to be out of the market or, or not buying the most expensive stocks in the world and investing in other areas that are more attractively priced, like emerging markets or non-US stocks. But you have to be willing to be different than the crowd. So that's episode 194, four lessons from Warren Buffett. You can get show notes At MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com While you're there, please sign up for my free Insider's Guide. I'll email you an essay, whatever I happen to be thinking about that week in terms of investing, some of the best writing I do each week. You can sign up for that at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education and not considered your specific Risk situation, just general education on money, investing, the economy. Have a great week.